Welcome to Connecting Citizens to Science, a podcast from the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine about engaging communities in global health research. I'm Kim Ozano. And I'm Bea Eggard. And throughout this series, we'll be talking to researchers from around the world, exploring how they connect with people to address a range of challenges in global health. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Connecting Citizens to Science podcast. This month's brand new series is all about climate change and health. The Sustainable Development Goal 13 states that we need to take urgent action to combat climate change and its impacts. The consideration of energy is a central focus for climate change experts, as it is responsible for nearly three quarters of global emissions, with energy consumption being one of the biggest sources of human-caused greenhouse gas emissions. SDG 7 calls for affordable, reliable, sustainable and modern energy for all by 2030. Reducing alliance on fossil fuels and the greenhouse emissions they cause, whilst focusing research and action on the use of clean, green, renewable energy, is clearly a development aspiration. However, today we will learn that not all renewable energy is clean and green or healthy. In this week's episode, we will hear from guests how they are working with people and communities to adapt to cleaner energy whilst considering the impacts on other SDG goals. I have the pleasure of having a new co-host today with me. AJ, how are you today? And tell us a bit about yourself. Thanks, Kim. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Ajay Bhave, uh, and I am the Global Challenges Research Fellow at Newcastle University in the UK. Uh, I'm an environmental scientist uh, who works on climate change risks, impacts, and adaptation across countries in the Global South, uh, across Asia, Africa, and South America. Uh, I'm particularly interested in climate services and how we can use scenarios and decision-making approaches to help communities and stakeholders take adaptation decisions under uncertainty. Um, I'm originally from India and moved to the UK uh, and still sort of getting used to the climate here. Thanks, Ken. Wonderful to have you on board. Um, And it sounds like you're ideally placed to be a wonderful co-host in this series. So to move on and introduce our guests, we have Flavia and John. So Flavia, welcome. How are you today? And tell us a bit about yourself. Hi, everyone. Hi, Kim. Uh, thank you for having me. So my name is Flavia Ajambo, and I am a Ugandan. I'm a communications expert working with a Center for Research in Energy and Energy Conservation. And my work is basically around uh, packaging information to really help people to make a more informed transition from uh, traditional forms of energy into using modern types of and clean energy. Fantastic. So packaging information to help inform and spread knowledge for behavior change around energy sounds very interesting. John, welcome. Please introduce yourself and um, how are you? Hi, hi Kim. Um, hi, AJ. And, and nice to see you, Flavia, as well. Um, so I'm John Lovett. I, I work at the University of Leeds in the School of Geography, where I'm chair of Global Challenges. Um, I'm, I actually live up in the North York Moors uh, National Park, so not too far south of uh, AJ. So I know all about the weather, AJ, up here. And uh, really looking forward to the pandemic finishing so I can get out back over to Uganda. The last time I saw Flavio, we were having a meeting at the source of the Nile, which was which was really great. So in my work, um, I've got uh, quite a few different projects. They all focus on uh, renewable energy 
And three of those are with Creek in Uganda and working with, with, with Flavia. Uh, and they're working on, uh, on microgrids uh, and, and biogas. Uh, and we also have a, a project on capacity building as well. Wonderful. Thank you very much. That sounds really interesting and, and a pleasure to have you both here. So, Flavia, let's hear a little bit more about the work you've been doing um, and the projects you work on. If you could just give our listeners a, a flavor for the types of things that you work on and also some of the considerations around uh, connecting with people in the work that you do and the context where you are. So primarily in my country, uh, I would say that 80% of people do not have access to uh, clean energy or even to any form of energy besides fossil fuels. So we have a lot of people using charcoal for cooking and that cuts across whether rural communities or even urban communities. And part of the work that we do here at the Center uh, for Research in Energy and Energy Conservation is based around increasing access to modern types of energy. So we do that in different ways through trainings and we also have a couple of projects making sure that people can have access to energy. Now, personally, my passion is making sure that people have the information that they need to make a transition to you know, one, form of, one form of energy or the other. There's so many strategies that have been put up to help people to access whether clean cooking technologies or even lighting technologies, but the information sometimes is not uh, packaged right and does not even get to the people who really need it. So most of the times, uh, even with the project that we've had uh, with Sarah, uh, Diffid, we've really tried to break that barrier of information and look at a diverse... Um, like diverse modes of sharing information. So you have you can find that besides using the regular, let's say uh, maybe newspapers, we have gone ahead to even use like uh, movies, you know, entertainment to actually get people to have a conversation around renewable energy and see that people can be able to make the transition more informatively. Thanks, Flavia. And when you're developing these diverse modes of sharing information, do you work with communities to find out ways that will help them learn and absorb the information you share? Yes, surely we have. We, we, we usually, uh, our approach generally as an organization is centered around the community. So even regardless of, uh, even when it comes to interventions, uh, innovations, we still have to have interactions with the community. So when we're coming up with, um, these strategies of how to disseminate information we had the community in mind and just looking at how they interact with information. Uh, entertainment is quite big worldwide, but when you look at like locally, uh, besides, besides the people having access to the newspapers, they are, more, they are more serious, but entertainment has a softness to it and it gets people talking a lot and it is very memorable. Most of the time, the challenge we have found with renewable energy-based information, people either find it boring and most of the time they also forget it. But with entertainment, it always leaves, you know, like it's like a joke. It is funny to you, but at the same time, it is telling you, you're using the wrong technology and probably you need to be doing something different. So we, 
we found it interesting to see how that is affecting people. It sounds like you really know um, your community and, and your country and the, the cultural learning process that, that can transform something that um, can not be exciting into something that really is engaging. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. Let's just move to John for a minute. John, um, what other considerations have you, uh, I know you said you work in different contexts, had to, co to consider when you're working to develop um, new uh, behavior around the use of energy? Well, I, I think let's just start out by putting uh, Sustainable Development Goal 7 into context, somewhere like Uganda. You know, I mean, indoor air pollution from smoke is a major health hazard and it's known as the killer in the kitchen. And killer in the kitchen death rates are highest in low-income countries, such as those in sub-Saharan Africa and Asia. And in fact, there's a strong link between wealth and a lowering of deaths from indoor air pollution. And a lot of the work that's been done at Creek helps to reduce the indoor air pollution problem by promoting energy technologies that don't emit the particulates that you get in smoke. Uh, and, for example, standard setting on, on cook stoves and, uh, and so on. So at Creek, they, they, they have a, uh, a lab where they can test the, uh, the amount of particulates that are coming out of different uh, cook stove designs. Uh, and they can uh, make sure that the designs conform to the kind of standards that government want. So that that basic uh, research that that's been done at Creek, and we've been supporting Creek through uh, our various projects funded by the the UK Engineering and Physical Science Research Council and the uh, Biotechnology and Biological Research Council and the Royal Society uh, to do this. Uh, really fundamental work that uh, is aimed at improving people's health and reducing death rates from things like the killer in the kitchen. So that's the, the, the kind of the context of why uh, why we're doing it. I actually um, I, I actually started off as a botanist and I got into this work uh, originally through an idea that we called energy gardens, and the idea here was to grow indigenous plants within smallholder farming systems so that people could uh, grow the energy that they needed actually within their smallholder farming systems and then uh, integrate that uh, into, their, uh, into their, their, their livelihood. And through that, I then started working with engineers uh, and uh, we started to look at these different technologies and I've known the people at Creek for many, many years, so it was great to get together with them again and uh, on these projects and bring together these these different ideas of natural resource productivity within smallholder systems, combined with the new technologies that are so readily available now, like uh, solar cook stove technologies, gasifiers, and so on. And uh, Creek, because they have such strong connections to the community are then able to reach out uh, and take those to the community. Now, Flavia mentioned there about these uh, various new and innovative ways of outreach and communicating with the community. And I, I mentioned at the beginning, the last time I, I saw Flavia in person was when we were at the source of the Nile. And we were having a discussion then about uh, developing a collaboration with a, uh, a filmmaker 
uh, Steve Ienyi, and, and and maybe Flavia can tell us a little bit more about that. And that developed into an amazing TV drama. Steve is such a talented uh, director. And this TV drama is very, very dramatic. But underneath it all is the renewable energy story and the killer in the kitchen story. Um, but maybe Flavia can tell us a little bit more about that as well. Thanks very much, John. I think that set us up nicely. And I, I agree. I, we would love to hear more from Flavia. AJ, I'll hand it over to you to, to, to look at this in a little bit more detail. But it's great to see that we've had this journey from testing to, to uh, intervention in the communities and outreach. So I look forward to hear more about that. AJ, over to you. Um, thanks very much, Kim. Uh, well, a great discussion already. Um, maybe uh, to sort of go into a bit more detail about your specific work with communities in Uganda. Um, Flavia, could you uh, could you sort of uh, lay the ground and, and talk through a bit more about how you are working with them and how the processes and methods work with your work in uh, communities in Uganda? Okay, uh, thank you very much. So usually when we have uh, the way we approach situations and interventions here, at the center is firstly we go down to the community and identify a need so when we identify the need let's say if uh, there is an energy need then we find out what resources do people have around them so you can find that probably um, a community has access to a water source or probably they have access to dry biomass all that information helps us to identify the most appropriate uh, technology that we can use uh, or that we can employ, you know, for them. And making sure that the resources already available in the community also helps in terms of sustainability, because then we're not going to employ an innovation or a technology that they're not going to be able to sustain over time. So after we have that information ready with us, then we are in a much better position to design uh, a technology or even an, an innovation that is going to provide energy for them uh, for a much longer period of time. So that's kind of like the process that we use uh, when, when, when uh, deploying energy interventions. Thank you very much, Flavia. Um, John, would you like to uh, talk a bit more about um, the sort of need-based issues that Flavia mentioned also? Uh, regarding affordability, usability, customization, and sustainability of these interventions, how do you take them forward with communities? Well, I mean, what what we tend to do at Leeds is that we do the the technical backstopping for the the, the work that's been done at uh, Creek and by Flavia and her her team there. Um, so what we're looking at is. Uh, uh, putting in place the appropriate technologies and, and doing the research that is needed for the way that those technologies fit together. So, for example, one of the projects that we're, uh, we've been working on is on something called microgrids. Microgrids is when you have a small electricity grid that's connecting maybe a few homes or homes and business or, or, or just within a business. And you can have multiple sources of uh, electricity generation within that. So you might have a, a, a gasifier that's burning biomass. You might have solar panels that are generating uh, electricity. And you might have uh, even a diesel generator that's uh, providing backup within that. And you would maybe integrate that with some, some, some biomass generation that we're using for cooking. So we put together that, that suite of uh, technologies 
And people from Creek have come over to Leeds and they've worked together with the engineers in the, in, in the labs to develop their, their skills and knowledge on these different technologies. And then they'll come back and they'll uh, apply those technologies in the communities. So, for example, um, we've been working with, uh, with, with Creek on a, uh, an orphanage called Watoto Villages. Uh, there are a lot of orphans in Uganda from uh, the, uh, the AIDS epidemic and also from the, the wars that are going on in uh, the countries surrounding the country. And uh, we've designed a, a, a microgrid, a hybrid microgrid that can be used within that orphanage. And then Creek and the technicians there, they will go out and they will uh, engage with the, the community in the orphanage and install those uh, systems. Thank you very much, John. Uh, that was really interesting to hear. Um, moving on to perhaps the, the next issue in terms of uh, promoting affordable and clean energy use. Uh, Flavia, could you talk a bit more about how you are... Um, sort of enabling this transition and, and what sort of um, challenges do you face and how are you trying to make and overcome these some of these challenges? Uh, thank you, AJ. So one of the challenges that we have uh, faced while trying to help people to make the transition to a cleaner or even modern types of energy is people have used uh, traditional types of energy for a very long time. So these are, these are cultures and... Um, and behaviors that have really been passed on from you know different generations and for you to be able to break into that um like pattern and to be able to change people's minds has also been a very very big challenge you have to demonstrate the the benefits while not compromising um for instance now with our traditional foods there are foods where people feel like uh the quality of the meal is based on how it is cooked. So probably because of that, traditional way it has been cooked with on firewood. And then now telling people to use an improved uh, cook stove, it gets challenging because they feel like there's going to be a compromise to taste. So they will not feel compelled to make that change. So how we have been able to tackle that is by, one, kind of identifying uh, technologies that do not um do not compromise the taste of the meals that are at the heart of the people we are trying to reach out to. So that is one. Then also on the other hand is also just you know like a persistent education of people about the benefits of using our improved uh, improved uh, cook stoves and just helping them to transition with just a little bit of more information. So with uh with Asera and DFID and the different modes or even with a diverse way we've been communicating to people <coughs> using movies <coughs> sorry about that using movies is just a nice way to to have the conversation nationally so every time you just imagine like a home where people are watching a movie together it brings up a conversation and we wanted that conversation to just not be among a certain group of people, but we wanted it to be a national conversation about how people cook, um, what are the dangers with the traditional forms of energy they have been using, or even just even lighting, not even just cooking alone, but even lighting, because there are very many people who are still using candles to date. 
to light uh, their homes. And that brings a lot of dangers. There has been fires uh, and people have actually lost their lives besides the indoor air pollution. People have lost their lives in fires because they're using candles at home. So now with movies, we're able to have a bigger conversation around what people are using. And then through, um, through the movies and the TV series, you're also able to demonstrate the impact of uh, modern energy sources. So people are able to see for themselves how these things work, how they operate. We are able to have conversation around you know, what challenges they can anticipate and how they can forego those challenges like going forward. So it helps to educate in a, in a wholesome manner instead of just tackling one issue. And I think we have really done well with that. Thank you very much, Flavia. Um, John, coming back to sort of the, some of those issues that Flavia mentioned, um, and also sort of building on those, um, are there specific uh, training or capacity building related issues that um, have to be addressed as a part of this enabler? Yeah, absolutely, AJ. I, and this is a, a lot of the work that we've been doing uh, with 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 Creek. As I mentioned earlier, what we're doing at Leeds is is really backstopping. Uh, a lot uh, and developing the capacity in Creek to to bring on board some of these new technologies and get them out into the communities. Um, we've also been working on um, some different ways of disseminating knowledge and uh, information. So, for example, we've been running training on things like policy briefs, uh, and we've been generating, been creating a series of uh, policy briefs that can go out to to donors and and uh, other stakeholders and uh, enterprises and communities and things to so that people are aware of the kind of um, uh, resources and facilities uh, and help that Creek can can bring to communities. And then, as well with the with the rise of the internet. Uh, we've been developing things like massive open online courses. So, for example, last year we developed with Creek a massive open online course on the FutureLearn platform on bioenergy, and we launched it at the Climate Change Conference, COP26, in, in Glasgow. And we've had now uh, about 1,700 people have been through that course uh, you can go through the course at a, a range of different levels. You can just listen to the podcasts and see the videos. You can engage with the uh, the chat and the discussion forums. Uh, and then for the people who really want to, to know more about how to do it, then we've got a series of worked examples and mathematical things that you can do on bioenergy generation uh, in, embedded within within those courses. And that's been done really collaboratively uh, with Creek and our other partners, so uh, Creek are the, uh, the 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 team there. They're the, they're the voices within the internet, uh, within the massive open online course, and uh, also the uh, the Creek team were were very much engaged in the uh, discussion forum, and we get people from all over the world attending those courses. So it's really opened up the uh, the whole thing of knowledge exchange and knowledge dissemination, so that. There's Creek uh, in Kampala in Uganda, and they're now talking to people all over the world through that medium. Um, so I think that's really, uh, really important. And yeah, to come back again to what Flavia was talking about with these, uh, these, these movies, the, the TV series that they made that's called Kampala. Yeah, it's really fantastic. And it's, it's got terrific 
uh, popularity and uh, and ratings. It went out. I, Flavia can correct me. I think it went out on a Sunday evening out in, in into Kampala and had a really good audience watching it. Um, right. So moving to the next question, perhaps uh, sort of building on what you just mentioned, John, about the COP26, the Conference of Parties in Glasgow. Um, I think that's a it's an important question to link um, how how the link between uh, the sustainable development goals on uh, clean, affordable energy and climate change, that is sustainable development goal uh, 13, uh, and also related to health uh, in Uganda. Uh, how do these link and what are the various um, intricate relationships that need to be uh, that you need to be thought about? Okay, thanks, AJ. Uh, this is a really interesting one. Well, let, let's start with the health link. Um, so, first of all, how does SDG 7 on energy link to health? Well, there, there's a really strong link between the two. So, traditional ways of cooking using firewood produce a lot of smoke. The smoke consists of small particles and chemicals that cause cancer. These particles enter the lungs of people who are close to the fire. And these are usually women and children doing the household cooking. So this indoor air pollution smoke is sometimes called the killer in the kitchen. And the World Health Organization estimates that indoor air pollution causes about 3.8 million deaths a year. I mean, this is this is massive. So if you can if you can reduce the uh, indoor air pollution, those particulates that are caused by, say, wood smoke in, in, in kitchens, then uh, that's a huge benefit in terms of uh, improving health. Or And it's particularly health of women and children in, tra in traditional communities, traditional households, who are most exposed to that indoor air pollution and most affected. So straight away, if you can bring in uh, clean forms of uh, energy into households, then you automatically get that uh, impact on health. Now, the next one on climate change is a little bit more controversial. And, you know, there's that whole thing with the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change and technology transfer to uh, developing countries and saying, well, the idea here is that what we want to do is to uh, transfer these clean technologies to developing countries so that they can uh, generate energy without following the polluting routes of the industrialized countries. Yeah, that that's very true. But when you're dealing at it at the with it at the community level, you've got to remember that those communities and and uh, countries like Uganda and many many other countries, they are not contributing to greenhouse gas emissions. And therefore, what the uh, United Nations framework calls uh, dangerous anthropogenic emissions on climate change. So it's really important not to kind of point the or, or to justify the these transfer of these renewable energy technologies uh, on the basis of climate change, because the people in Uganda are not responsible for climate change. Climate change is caused by a very small percentage of the global population who are massive users of energy uh, and they are generating huge quantities of greenhouse gas emissions. So the reason why you want to get that uh, th uh, those clean, uh, affordable, uh, reliable energy technologies uh, into households in Uganda is primarily uh, related to, to, to health, 
uh, to improve education, to improve equality, to uh, alleviate poverty by uh, opening up the possibilities of microenterprises and so on. Right, that is that is a really comprehensive answer, John. That's really interesting. So there's a clear link with health and also in terms of climate change towards mitigation uh, to some extent. Um, Flavia, um, how do you see this connection between um, improving health? You've already mentioned several dimensions um, related to health, indoor air pollution, for example. But how do you see them transforming people's lives uh, over the next, uh, uh, in, in the short term and in the long term future? Thank you very much, uh, AJ. So how, how I see the impact that uh, SDG 7 is going to have on health is one, if people have access to cleaner forms of energy, let's say people who can be able to use solar for lighting, we have seen that there has been a lot of pollution caused by using candles, and that has also been a very big problem. There are also other diseases associated with uh, pollution that includes uh, asthma, and those I think we can be able to slowly by slowly either to phase out or even to reduce the impact they have on people and even in the communities now on the plus side on the plus side how we can also be able to impact the health sector is by having access to to energy cross-cutting uh with urban and rural communities people in rural communities will also be able to have better health care because they'll be able to have equipment that can have that can be powered by electricity which right now is not a reality for all in rural communities. So we'll be able to make that breakthrough and have better health care, whether for people in urban communities or even rural communities. It will be quite the same. Right. Thank you so much, Flavia. Um, it was great talking to both of you, John and Flavia, about the intricate details of the issues. Now I will hand it over to Kim to close the session. Thank you. Thanks very much. I've really enjoyed learning about energy and the, the impacts on health and also to hear about climate change and, and you know, who is contributing to climate change, but also how we can improve um, pollution levels in different countries through thinking about energy. So great to hear about that. So just to wrap up the session, we always like to get a bit of advice from our guests for others working in the same field. So Flavia, let's start with you. What advice would you give to others who are working around the field of energy and health and trying to connect with communities? So the advice I would give to someone trying to connect with communities is firstly to really understand what their needs. Sometimes we speculate on what the communities need uh, because of general knowledge or general research. And I think it is much better to get down to the grassroots and talk to people directly, find out what challenges they are having. And that information is going to help you much better when you're designing whatever program you're designing, uh, an innovation, or intervention, the best way to go about it is the community first. Let them be your source of information. Wonderful advice there. Connect with the communities and ask them so that you know that the way you move forward is going to reach their needs. John, same question to you, please. Okay. When, um, this is what I think when working in a community setting, think about how the sustainable development goals interconnect with each other. So many people are focused on household projects that will generate income and clean energy such as biogas can be part of a smallholder farm and the 
waste digestion from biogas is just an amazing fertilizer. So in one sweep, there's clean energy from biogas, a high quality fertilizer for market gardening, and a reduction in slurry pollution from livestock. And also, just to mention one of the incredible projects that Creek have been doing, they've been using biogas to power refrigeration units uh, in a in a peri-urban dairy, and that's enabled the um, the the dairy farmer to pasteurise their milk uh, as well using this clean, renewable, green energy source. Thanks very much. Wonderful pieces of advice there for our listeners. So we've come to the end of the session today. Thank you to our guests, John and Flavia, and to our new co-host, AJ, for a wonderful episode. Take care and see you soon. Bye. 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 Bye.